Welcome back to another episode of Running Through Rivers with me, your host, Shannon Rivers. Today, I'm in conversation with my friend, Matt Hellman. They are a powerhouse Facebook communities manager and website creator. Matt runs the successful Can I Breastfeed In It community, and we've known each other for about eight years. We met when our babies were small, and I was really passionate about getting Black mothers breastfeeding. I caught Matt's eye, we became friends, we knew of each other, um, and about six years later, we ended up working together to rebuild a Facebook community and handle crisis comms for a popular dungaree company. It was in this job that we saw how amazing it could be to work together as two neurodivergent people. There was magic in our work because we just did what seemed natural for us. Matt is a super creative person with loads of ideas and our conversation shows the magic of their brain. We discuss things like the benefits of recruiting from a neurodiverse talent pool, what reasonable adjustments might look like without breaking the bank, and even touch on self-diagnosis. I hope you enjoy our conversation. So thanks for tuning in to another episode of Running Through Rivers with me, your host, Shannon Rivers. Um, and today I'm joined by the wonderful Nat Hellman, um, who I'll let introduce themselves. Hello. Yes, well, I'm not really used to introducing myself uh, on any sort of platform in this way, to be honest. It's my first time. Hi, I'm Nat Hellman. Um, I um, am a community manager and neurodivergent brain. Um, you may have heard of me from such things as Can I Breastfeed in it, which is um, an online community for um, people who are breastfeeding, who need a little bit of help with the like practical support with what they wear um, whilst they feed um, and have sort of grown a lot of experiences through running communities and learning a lot of perspectives um, and, you know, culminating and learning about myself as well. Um, so yeah, like that's my, <laughs> that's my little introduction. Thank you, Shannon. And um, thank you for having me on this, on this show, on the show as well, because like, it's, um, it's so cool. It being my first as well. Like I'm very, very excited to chat all things neurodiversity with you. No, I love that. Um, yeah. So like, it's interesting. Um, so my kid is, is B9 or eight? Eight, just turned eight. Yeah. Okay. So that yeah we must have met when max was like one that's so weird um virtually <laughs> because yeah. you know yeah but we uh so interesting story a little bit of background about how nat and i got into kind of uh i don't know cahoots because i would call it that um, <laughs> we um we both were part of a breastfeeding group and um I, this is when I was really getting into kind of um, learning about diversity and inclusion, doing all the things and uh, really championing like black moms to breastfeed. Um, and then like fast forward, I don't know, uh, six years. I think so, yeah. Five, yeah. five years, something like that. Because uh, we both interviewed for the same job at a company and we both got hired. And so we got to work together in a completely different kind of uh, remit where I was Nat's manager, 
Um, yeah. <laughs> but really, uh, Nat was just my my right hand person um, through <laughs> the whole time. And I think that what we realized when we were working together was that, uh, well, Matt has always known that they're neurodivergent, um, but I came to this realization. <laughs> From 2018, I've known it. Well, that's, you know, I mean, that's longer, that's, that's longer than I've really like known it. But I think that working with you was the reason that I was like, oh, huh, maybe I should investigate this a little bit more and I don't have an official diagnosis but I definitely have ADHD although I like to call it VAST which is a different acronym for ADHD called varying attention span trait it's much more positive um instead of it being yeah (laughs) I feel like really behind like that has not popped up in any of my circles that's really really interesting like yeah vast yeah okay I like it yeah I mean I feel like you know ADHD has like deficit in it and I'm like well I'm not I'm not lost for anything Mm -hmm. right um and I'm like uh I don't know I don't I don't know how to describe what well my favorite my favorite description is the formula one car without steering wheel so you're like you're super high powered and like you can you, you know like you can do it but like you may not have control over where you're going you know so you got a lot of power behind you just with not a lot of control over where it goes so that that's like that's how I like to think of it in my brain because there is a lot of capacity and a lot of like power behind it it's just it's difficult to channel it in the right places yeah until you're hyper focused and then it's like you have both yeah. hands on the steering wheel and can just do the things. <laughs> when the stars align, when the stars align, you get a hyper focus on something you, like you really, really into. And then and then it's also like beneficial in work and like earning money and stuff. Like when those two things happen, it's like a it's it's just the best. Like that is the ultimate. That's what you want. You want those two things to engage because that's where, you know, a lot of success for ADHD people does or, you know, vast people, neurodivergent people. Like that is where it, you know, seems to like take them and and like into, into success, and I love it. <laughs> yeah, I think that that um, it wasn't until we were working together um, that I really understood how well two very different neurodivergent people can feed off of each other, but in like a really positive way. Like I'm the person, I'm the idea, I like to have ideas and I like to just say stuff. <laughs> exactly. When it, this, this is the thing, you've got to say it. If you don't say it, it goes away. So it's important to get everything out. Otherwise, like all those good ideas just dissolve, dissolve into nothing. And so you have to. And this is the thing. And I think we both appreciate that don't we so like that's why like we could just throw ideas at each other with no real structure or you know proper planning we'd just be like blah, 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 and we'd just talk it out and bounce off each other until we got to that point of like yes this is the thing and I love that I think that's like that's a very typical neurodivergent way of like interacting and especially in the workplace as well yeah which I thought was really interesting because I'd never worked so closely with someone who shared a, a neurodivergent brain um and it was like we were able to kind of switch roles where one of us had an idea and the other one could make sense of those ideas into some sort of document or 
make it make sense for other people, which is always um, helpful because sometimes I can't make sense of my own brain, but other people can. And so it's been really helpful and it's changed the way. Yeah. Yeah. Like it works both ways, you know, because you could, you know, you might not be able to get down what you, what you're saying. Like sometimes you need to have someone that's the person talking at someone and then the other person catches it and it's like, Oh, hang on a minute. Let's tie this together and put it down. And sometimes you need that sort of teamwork because like, I don't know about you, but like, you know, if I'm in a meeting and I'm really like, you know, using my brain and coming up with ideas and thinking on the spot I can't do that and get it down like I can't do both so it's like really really handy like you know to have to have like a sort of team where you know one might take the lead one time and then the other in it just that that balance it's sort of helping each other out and it's sort of using our strengths in different ways at different times yeah it's great no yeah I loved it so that's how we ended up here with you today talking about neurodiversity um you got a little bit of kind of our story of of working together as neurodivergent people um but I'm gonna invite Nat to kind of share as much as as they're comfortable with about their neurodivergent journey and what they know about themselves and really work to kind of unpack this so that we can move into some questions around workplace and interviews and all the things that everyone on this podcast is here for. (laughs) So I hope that you'll find this uh, conversation really useful and helpful in kind of dealing with neurodivergence and and really uh, championing it and kind of um, supporting uh, all of your staff to be, to kind of work in the best way that works for them, I think is the best way to put that. Um, so Nat, if you'd like to kind of talk about your neurodivergent story, um, I'd really appreciate that. Oh, well, well, I'll take you back to 2018. Um, and I think actually it came off, um, I, 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 like basically I've, I've been diagnosed with dyslexia at, at university. Um, didn't really think much of it, you know, got got a few perks of, of you know, of that, of that extra support um, through uni and so, and just like sort of left it there. And it, the dyslexia um, diagnosis never really made sense for me. Um, I was like the, 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 the main, the, basically the main reason they diagnosed me with dyslexia is because of my lack of a folk, like lack of focus and concentration. Um, because I think at the time they didn't really consider you know, female people of like my age to be to be having the ADHD. I knew someone at uni with ADHD and, and he was a very typical, like bouncing off the ceiling guy that would just completely fit the stereotype. So at the time, there was no reason to think that I had ADHD because I wasn't like him. And the psychiatrist, a psychiatrist told me that I had dyslexia, even though I'm, I'm you know, I've always been, I was um, hyperlexic. I've always been good at spelling. Like all those things, great at grammar. Like I don't have any of those problems. I do have problems staying focused on, you know, reading when it's not something I'm interested in. Or sometimes I have problems with, you know, the white background. I found that having overlays sometimes really helped me concentrate. I could never really understand why the overlays seemed to help, but they they did. Like having that different color background and stuff. Um, and yeah, so like I I sort of I sort of just you know put that to one side and didn't really think much of it. And then 2018 came around and I can't really remember what happened. I mean, I had just experienced quite a big upturn in my life over the past couple of years before that um, and sort of really got, came out of a place of, um, you know, like dissociation essentially into 
like finding my identity again I think I'd completely like you know lost my identity and I came and I and and on the way out of that I um I I think you know autism like hadn't really like hadn't crossed too much of my mind ADHD hadn't really crossed too much of my mind before that but I was looking into actually um uh, auditory processing delay you know or I can't remember disorder delay um because I was like oh it's easier like for me to it like when I'm watching something to have the subtitles on and I sort of started on there and then from there I I stumbled across um ADHD and but it, it wasn't so much like looking at ADHD like standard ADHD it was looking at ADHD in women it was when I realized that even even though I'm not termed as a woman but you know that's what you have to search for um even though um I like like, yeah like still the ADHD stuff typically the typical male stereotype still wasn't hitting it for me but the minute I started focusing my 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 sort of research onto female um presentation of ADHD I (laughs) I would I was I was absolutely blown away because it's all of a sudden just went bam everything makes sense what the hell um and I just remember being so hyper-focused on it typically um you know even just me knowing that I was hyper-focused on it just obviously really made me think god yeah I really must be um to the point where I um I I ended up getting a, a private diagnosis even though I couldn't afford it just because I was so so sure and I really really needed to know if I did do did, did or didn't because I knew that the answer would change my life and it did um, and so I got my diagnosis in um, privately in 2018 and started on medication and stuff, which the medication did help a bit, but it was a bit of a long journey with that as well. Um, and then um, I got on the waiting list for autism not long after I got that diagnosis, because obviously with the hyper focus on ADHD and start looking sort of a bit broader than that, I, I stumbled across autism. And that again, something I never thought I, I would have because you know like you know what you know of autism you know it's people it's like you know people in special schools or you know like the sort of representations we see on tv and it you know that that didn't feel like me so I just kind of like initially I was a bit like I, I couldn't be and you know I was doing the quizzes and stuff and it was coming up a bit borderline and and you know, I started answering the quizzes not not with what I was capable of, but actually of what I was comfortable with. And, and that very much changed up the scores for me because I realised what I had essentially done my entire life was push through the discomfort. And, and you know, like I just lived my life like in a, in a constant state of discomfort to be like, um, you know, like normal, you know, in, in, to, for a better way, uh, speech marks, normal. Um, you know, I did a really good job of masking and it carried me through a long time, but that mask did fail. And that's when you know, I, I did have a bit of a brain flip around that and it, it led into, you know, that loss of identity and all sorts. And then I um, I sort of came out of that. Uh, we got to, uh, yes, yeah, so I managed to get my diagnosis for autism in 2020 um, after a good, a good long wait. Um, and yeah, like having that answer really allowed me to reframe my past and my like childhood and all of my past experiences. Suddenly I could look at things from like a, a, in a whole new light and I was able to like have a lot more compassion for myself. And that was like one of the biggest 
biggest things for me getting diagnosed was finding that self-compassion finding you know like there were reasons and it wasn't just because I was weird or not good enough or you know just like unable to be what people wanted me to be it was no way that my brain is actually just wired differently like how I experience life is different to how other people experience life and yeah like it was just like a massive like brain explosion moment and yeah like I, I just yeah it, it it, it, it it's it's led me to here and, and, and like that that hyper focus has sort of turned into a bit of special interest I'll be honest on neurodiversity now I find psychology and you know everything that's wrapped up neurodiversity psychology and trauma all those things and how they wrap in together really really fascinates me um and I, I I'm seeing more and more the prevalence of neurodiversity in our society I'm seeing more and more people like suddenly wake up and realize that they're neurodivergent and they always were you know most of my friends list on Facebook like they're all realizing mainly mainly AFAB um, people are realizing this and you know they're getting diagnosed and it's it's like an epidemic it's it's mad it's just all suddenly taking off and that's made me suddenly realize hang on a minute like what is this supposed normal that we're supposed to be like? What is that? Like, how many people are all just pretending to be not like normal? It, it it absolutely blows my mind if I'm honest. Um, and yeah, so I just find it also fascinating how it all intertwines and and like you say the prevalence of it, the way it's sort of really taking off that self awareness that's really taking off at the moment especially like you know amongst our sort of generation we're all seeming to have this sort of like shifting consciousness where we're starting to like recognize a lot more about ourselves and be more in touch with ourselves and I'm just really enjoying watching that and I'm really enjoying sort of seeing how you know this information can be applied into our everyday how you know how our everyday is structured how that can be changed into something that's more suitable for neurodivergent brains because it feels like at the moment you know that it's not a minority of us necessarily that are experiencing these difficulties it's, it's a large amount of us maybe not the majority but a big enough amount of us to require some massive upheaval in how we operate as a society because like you know there's, there's a good chunk of our population that are being suppressed and are being you know we're, we're not we're not we're not letting people be their, you know, their true selves. We're not letting people, you know, we're not, we're not supporting people to be like to succeed as much as they could succeed. And it's just becoming, you know, it's, it, it's becoming more and more noticeable. And, and thankfully it does seem like, you know, there are some changes that are starting to be made sort of, you know, here and there in sort of certain companies, especially like Silicon Valley, places like that, that they're all kind of coming into these new businesses, their startups, are walking into it with with more of this knowledge so therefore you know when these startups startups take off we're seeing you know like neurodivergent friendly workplaces pop up now which is something that you know you wouldn't have had 10 years ago and you know that really gives me hope that you know it's going to catch on and that other companies are going to listen and think hang on a minute Am I using my workforce to the best of their ability? I, am I getting the most out of my employees? Are, like, are they are they comfortable doing their jobs? All these questions that you know they should be asking themselves. And it's yeah, it's getting us it's getting us to that point. Um, that's going to be the challenge, like getting us to that point where people do sit up and listen and think, hey, how can I, 
how can I make my workplace more comfortable for all my staff, not just people who have their brains wired this way. Um, so yeah, like, and, and, and that's what we're here to talk about today. So I'll, I'll hand over to you. Oh, yeah. Thank you so much for taking me on that journey. Um, so I think that it's important that we kind of caveat this, that Nat has a uh, a diagnosis, but self-diagnosis is um, accepted and um, is valid and is your lived experience and it's important and not everyone can afford to get diagnosed or wait forever on the NHS to get diagnosed. So um, if you think that you are neurodivergent, like we're going to talk about self-diagnosis a little bit later and how to kind of communicate that with your employer um, and how employers can also kind of work to treat self-diagnosis as something that's valid as well um, because disability is is defined in a very certain way in um, the Equality Act of 2010, which is a whole other kettle of fish. And I could do a whole podcast just on that and the problems with it and how it doesn't work, but it's fine. Uh, we're here to talk about neurodiversity. And so I think um, a good place for us to kind of start is what do you think are the main challenges or some of the, the challenges that you faced as a neurodivergent thinker um, in the workplace? And uh, what does that tell us about kind of the, the broader working environment? I mean, like historically, you know, pre being diagnosed, my like old workplace that I was with for about 10 years, I would often find that, you know, my main sort of struggles were, you know, as, as, a, as, a, as a team member, were you know being accused of talking too much sort of being teased for not being able to shut up um having lots of new ideas all the time and sort of like I because I was the sort of person who's like oh you could be doing this better you could be more efficient in this and I would be bringing up all these ideas and it got to the point where they were just like oh like again another one and it, you know it, and, and, and it's things like that you know started gnawing away at my sort of self-esteem um, you know, um, having like flexibility to work as well was another really massive, like, massive one. I had flexi time at this job as well. Um, so I was able to start any time from essentially half eight to half nine. I could, I could, um, finish at half four. I could finish at half five. Like, you know, there was, there was some flexibility there and you could even go a bit before and after if you wanted to. Um, and I found that that really worked for me because that really helped me, you know, on the nights that I couldn't get to sleep early. I could rock up a bit later and generally I am the sort of person that does run quite late so it, it was really great that it just you know it didn't mean that I was overly rushed and I didn't like get like leave the house before I was ready every morning and like it would because that would initially that completely send me into a spin from the from the start so having that really did help um but you know at the same time like there wasn't any flexibility on sort of like mental health there wasn't any flexibility with like, you know, when you got burned out, like there wasn't, you know, you couldn't just take a day because you're, you know, your mental health day or whatever, like that, that was what was lacking. Essentially there was understanding was lacking. Um, and generally, yeah, just, just to, you know, I, I realize now that, you know, a lot of why I felt quite, not, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to say bullied, but like picked on at work was down to my neurodivergent traits and, I can't help I don't know whether that would still be the case now in 2022 I mean this was you know a good 12 years ago now um but 
yeah like that that really stuck with me and made me kind of think like how many other people are experiencing that sort of behavior in the workplace um so that was like sort of like the pre-diagnosis um but since then and since becoming more a must I've had to be a lot more aware I think about my communication and and stuff like that so sometimes you know it can it can be difficult with like communicating sometimes if you're really burned out you don't have the energy to do the hi how are you and you know like the the niceties the sort of you know the like you know the way you're supposed to act with you know with like other people in the company that you know instead of being like I need this or I need you know some days you may not have the spoons to be like oh yeah like all the niceties and then ask for what you need and be oh don't worry about it and putting in all that effort you know what I mean and and yeah like I think yeah see my brain is just gonna go off cliffs at that point so those are some of the things um Another one is sort of like meetings. I find I used to find and I still find quite difficult for note taking, remembering what's been said, being present even and staying focused in the meetings enough to actually absorb all the information. Because if I'm not actively speaking as part of that meeting, I'm going to forget a lot of what's been said because like listening only takes me so far. And like, you know, if I don't have those notes afterwards, like I may not remember important parts of that meeting. And that can be really, really challenging. Um like you know sometimes having poor work boundaries overworking underworking being distracted by your phone things like that you know needing sort of um like you know needing things like your phone to regulate when you're feeling stressed it being seen as you slacking you know like this was another thing that I had pre-diagnosis I used to be told off for using my phone a lot and it's what kept me calm it's what kept me able to stay focused on my job but of course to them it didn't look like that it looked like I was doing other things than my job and it, yeah, it's it's sort of like now I know I could explain that to them, but then I had no re. I, I was I first thought I was addicted to my phone, but now I realise I was using it to stay to stay centered. So it's it's things like that, you know, that change of perspective that really does you see it from a different angle. It's it's mad, but yeah, go on. <laughs> We're often viewing things from our lived experiences like and until you have like language or whatever do a diagnosis or 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 self-diagnosis to really like quantify or qualify something justify it in some cases it can be really difficult to 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 be able to explain or pinpoint why like I have divided attention right so this is not the same as multitasking uh multitasking is doing two or more things and doing them with the same amount of energy divided attention is doing many things two or more things with giving a lot of attention to one thing and some attention to another thing so uh the example I used earlier today when I was like explaining this to my mom was um like I could be writing a a paper for college university um and watching a movie and so I can't uh focus on both things with the same amount of energy but I can focus on one thing with a good amount of energy and something with some energy so I could tell you everything I wrote in a paper and I could tell you the general plot of a movie that I watched while I was doing it I couldn't tell you the battle scenes or who the characters were or what the protagonist looked like but I can but as I'm listening because I have this thing where I need constant stimulation most of the time um to be able to do focused work um so either that's music or tv or you know something in the background so that I'm able to focus on what I'm doing and people don't understand 
that people i we were using speech marks a lot today (laughs) people in quotes um don't understand that because they think oh you're just multitasking well no i'm not because if i was multitasking i would be able to tell you the plot of the movie the protagonist's the color of the protagonist's hair all of this stuff and it's just really different to divided attention but i do but i thrive really well doing things in divided attention yeah yeah and and i you know I, I'm, I'm exactly the same i need to have something on usually and sometimes it works in my favor and sometimes it doesn't depending on my energy levels and what i'm doing like you know that divided attention like you know it it doesn't always go the way that you want it to so like you might find that you're doing work and actually you're paying more attention to the tv so it's like you know it can be really difficult because you, you just don't have any control over like the, the ratios of that attention um, and the other thing is, you know, if if I don't have that additional attention, I find that, yeah, I can't focus or it's not even that I can't focus. It's that I'll find something else. I'll look at my phone. I'll, I'll go on Facebook. I'll, I'll go up. I'll go up and get in the kitchen. I'll, you know, I'll go. I'll be doing something else. I'll find something else. But if I've got TV to kind of take my attention every now and then, I'm less inclined to fi- to be distracted by something else. And it is it's, it's a messy way of doing things. I mean, you know, it's not ideal, but it seems to be one of the only ways of doing it and and you know like I, I think it's hard for some people to understand that it isn't a case of I just want to enjoy all the things or do all the things at once because I want to make the most of life or whatever it's I'm doing these things because it's the only way I can do the thing I need to do yeah, <laughs> um, so, yeah. That's, that's a bit that's missed a lot by um, workplaces that I've been part of is that there is this sort of expectation or attribution maybe that when you aren't solely focused on like the task doing the thing that you're not doing the work but I know that I produce the work at a rate that other people don't produce the work and it's stellar you know um because I'm able to just divide my attention in some ways some people call it distraction but for people who have ADHD specifically um, but other neurodiversities also benefit from uh, divided attention is actually an added benefit um, because as you said not like otherwise I'd be up like cleaning or in the kitchen or moving around or walking outside you know which is mechanism not not, yeah 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 and so it's really interesting all right so um as we've just discussed, there are some benefits from kind of from having neurodivergent people in your workforce. Um, but what do you think is like one of or a couple of the best things, the benefits of recruiting from that kind of neurodiverse talent pool? Well, the first thing, I mean, you know, the absolute ideal situation is that you hire someone whose special interest revolves around the work. So someone whose special interest engages with what you're doing, you're going to have one of the best workers on your force because that person is going to want to put everything into what they're doing. They're going to really want to, they're going to be passionate and they're going to be driven to do what they're doing because it's something that interests them. It's something that makes their brain light up and, you know, want to take it as far as possible. And I think like, you know, if if, if, if that happens, like, excellent that is perfect all around both the employer and the employee that's an absolute dream situation but obviously that isn't necessarily a realistic um situation um i think the sort of key 
The key thing for me, I think, or at least my, that the benefit that I sort of think is one of the best ones is the ideas thing. It's the creativity, thinking outside of the box, um, being able to, you know, like you, you, you might not be able to come up with an idea immediately as, you know, you're asked of it. But if you're having a conversation, you're having a meeting, those ideas just come out of nothing and they can be really good ideas in the moment. And you have to say them, you know, you have to get them out of your brain in those meetings in the moment. And sometimes they can land, sometimes they don't. But, you know, having those ideas coming can never be a bad thing, even if they're not all good ideas. Um, and the other one that I think is really interesting is is, is viewing different perspectives um, and, and sort of having that empathy to understand, you know, understand customers, understand your teammates, understand, you know, you, you, you know, if you're a manager, understand your team. Like there's all those things that I really think help with, um, you know, like just make a really good employee um, and to name to name but a few. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I think that probably um, I'd agree on on all of them. I think the ideas one is is so good because if you have someone who's um, super passionate, whose special interest is about the place that they work, um, for us, it was dungarees. Um, <laughs> and before that, it was breastfeeding. And now it's diversity and inclusion for me, right? And for you in, in a lot of ways too. Yeah. yeah. And we we really do like come up with different ways to do things, um, different ideas to try. And we're, and I think the biggest thing for, for me, that's like a super win for um, hiring people who are neurodivergent is that they're not afraid to fail. They would rather try things and see if they work. Um, and if they don't, then they go, well, why didn't that work? And they're very self-aware um, and self-reflective about why things didn't go the way that they thought they were going to go, which can be a downside too, because we might dwell a little bit too much when things don't go the way that we want them to. But I do think that that helps for um, those kind of reflective meetings that every employer should be having um, every, at least every quarter, but probably more often um, if we're being honest. Um, but having that kind of opportunity to ask what's working what's not working what did we try and what didn't work and you know all of this sort of stuff so that we can figure out what's working what's going well what needs improvement all of this stuff and neurodiverse people are really good at finding the holes and filling those holes with patterns uh finding patterns in uh clients and customers and databases right like we have a very interesting way of viewing things where someone can look at a spreadsheet and go what's this and go oh, okay I can see some data here let me see what I can do and you give that to someone who has who loves data sets like me um <laughs> then and, and go what can you pull from this and that the answers are going to be radically different right um because I'm going to be able to spot some patterns. I'm going to be able to spot a hole where we don't have any data that covers this particular thing, but we might want to track that, you know, those sorts of things can be really helpful. Yeah. And efficiency as well. I mean, you know, ADHD people in particular, I find are really good at finding quicker ways of doing things, finding ways that, you know, don't, don't, that aren't going to get you distracted halfway through. Um, and that's something that I know that I've always, you know, like really heavy relied. And I think autism as well. I think both the combination of both of those things just makes it extra, extra sweet. Um, you know, be, like just just coming up with processes that just cut out 
all the unnecessaries. Um, so we're really great at like, yeah, like finding these new efficient processes, which I think is a really great trait to have for any company. And I think that's not efficiency is not to be um, confused with rushing, right? Or Absolutely. yeah, and I think that that's an interesting thing because I've been recently talking with a load of people because I also surround myself with people who are queer and neurodivergent. Um, <laughs> but uh, I've been having lots of conversations about um, how much work we can do in four hours compared to eight hours of a normal day. Um, and often it's a lot more than one person's job, right? Um, and that doesn't mean that we're rushing through things. It means that we got this bright spot. We got this idea. We got this light bulb went off and we were like, oh my gosh, I have to go, I have to follow this until it's natural conclusion. <laughs> and that can help to, um, to kind of show, because we, what I do when I work like that is I really pull away all of the extra stuff and I go, what actually do I need to do to, to get from here to there in as little steps as possible? Because let's be real, I don't want to do 10 steps when I can do five. Exactly. Exactly. This is it. This is the efficiency. This is the, you know, it, it's, it, again, it's like, hang on, no, this way of doing things, like this is just wasting people's time. Like, why aren't we doing it this way, which would save everyone's time and make my job easier and your job easier? Like, it's it's about that. And, and yeah, like, it's it, you know, the, the whole timing of work thing, you know, like the whole thing about the bright spots, it's like, you know, and, and this and, and this goes alongside like the sort of flexible working as well. You know, you can't like, you know, it, it's difficult for an ADHD person to log on at nine o'clock, do their work for three, like three hours, take half an hour off and then just work for you know until five or you know with maybe one 15 minute break doing things that way you know they they they, they could be looking like they're working but chances are like they, they you know like unless unless you're doing something that doesn't require a lot of brain energy and this and this is like you know this is the thing it's like if you're required to think very creatively if you're you know, if you've got that demand on you and it's not just something that, you know, you can sort of do whilst you're watching the telly easily and pay more attention to the telly what you know, than what you're doing, it's that easy type thing. Um, if you're if you're needing to sort of, you know, bring more in your job, then, you know, it is going to be hard to do that whole, you know, that block working without having some flexibility. But, you know, like for me personally, I'm usually not ready to work until at least 10, half 10, you know, my brain isn't started up then. You know, I, I can't eat breakfast much, much earlier than that. I need to kind of get all my things out the way. And then I can finally sit down and my brain can actually go to it. If I, if I just went and started at nine because I had to start at nine, I would still be procrastinating for an hour and a half before I actually did anything. I'd be, I'd still, I'd get distracted, but I'd be distracted on my laptop. That would be the only difference, but I just wouldn't have done all the other things and I would have made my life very uncomfortable and I wouldn't be in a, in, a, in a good mind state to start work. I would be all over the place. And, you know, like having that flexible working, like, you know, although it may, you know, there is a degree of trust in that, you know, as long as that work is being done and, and the performance is good, there's no reason why it can't work. For me, I'm I'm one of those people that yeah, I'd like I'd, I'd you know I'd want to work for a couple of hours in the morning, like you know ten till twelve, and then I need like a break. Maybe I need some to do some stuff in the house. You know, maybe come back at one if you know half twelve or whatever, or even no breaks sometimes because sometimes I don't even want a lunch break. Sometimes it's not a good time 
because my brain is doing a thing. And this is another thing forced like lunch breaks at certain times isn't going to work for everyone. If, if, if that doesn't need to happen, then let the people choose when they take their lunch, you know, even, or, you know, if that person wants, to, if that person just wants to work through till three o'clock, like let them do it. Um, people need, need to be able to regulate themselves un unless they are unable to self-regulate, of course. And some, some people may need that structure. Um, but, you know, and I know typically ADHD folk like will struggle keeping to that sort of structure in a day. And, and so having that flexibility really does help create the best performance um, because then you're getting the, you know, you're able to really harness those peak times of day and get the work done, but, you know, but not be forcing it. And I think that forcing it, that forcing it takes so much energy, so much energy, and you're left with nothing. So it needs to flow with you is the way I see it. Yeah, I think that that's, it's, that's true. I am also one of those people who's not a great morning person. And by the time that I want to sit down at my computer and do work is 10, 30, 11 o'clock. Um, and I would rather work through the kind of that kind of lunch period and maybe take a later break um, instead. But, you know, everybody is different. And I think that that's the biggest thing is that it, this th these conversations require conversations, right? We have to be able to kind of reach in to our workforce, trust our team enough to tell us what is um, what's working well for them and what's not. And then also believing them, you know, and trusting that they're doing it. And part of that trust is you have to form that in having a psychologically safe environment. Um, so that's a whole other podcast, but, um, okay. So what interview tips do you think, uh, would be useful for anyone who's interviewing someone who's disclosed that they have, a a neurodivergence of some kind right well let me take you back to oh when was it probably around 2010 sort of time I don't know when it was but I was interviewing uh, to try and get out of my job and I was interviewing with a few a couple of companies and there was one interview that really struck me um in particular which is you know it was going really well I was I was really feeling I was I was, I was really feeling like I probably had it um, and then they asked me the question, they asked me a, a, like for an example of a time that something had happened like, or, you know, wh when did this happen? And I, I was like, I know this has happened. I, I know that I have done this, but I can't for the life of me recall the, the details of that moment in this, in, like I was on the spot. I was under pressure. They just popped this out out of nowhere. And I was like, I don't like it's going to take me some time to try and remember this because like my brain doesn't just jump back like that I can't just be like oh yes this time um and I just hit a blank and I was absolutely mortified like they 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 were just like quite like oh you're just not going to give us an answer and I was like I'm sorry like I just I can't my mind's gone blank um and then I didn't get the job um and you know I from that I that that's what that like you know looking back at that now if I received that question in advance asking me for an example and had some time to think about it I would have nailed it um and that interview shouldn't have been a test of my memory in that way like I could have I could have answered that question I, I have the skills required I, of what they were asking of me like I was able to fulfill the brief but I couldn't do it on the spot in that moment. So having that information up front would have 
it wouldn't you know like whether or not that's that's like you know unfair to other applicants i really don't think it is because like some people can easily remember that stuff and it's fine you know having those answers in advance gives you a chance to really structure your thoughts you know remember things properly send some time you know you do need extra time to do that so yeah like that's one of the really key things get like being upfront about you know sort of questions that are going to be asked that may require some elaboration um more than anything um i really don't like this culture of um interviews where you know you have to do it on the spot like you know you have to do it right now you have to think of it on the spot right now like i think that's really ableist um and i don't think a lot i don't think many companies realize that um because i think they kind of see it as a test of someone's skills to be able to do that um but ultimately no it's not fair it's not fair i mean really they could just give everyone these questions in advance and then that's fair like that that would make sense maybe just take out that horrible game show-esque vibe from there and just remove it completely um so yeah that'll be like one of the key ones that i would suggest for interviews um so i think that the interesting thing i remember us talking a while ago about the interview that we had with the company that we uh that I used to work for and still work for um, was the opportunity to, when we were applying to do a video. Yes, absolutely. Uh, and absolutely. how much more beneficial that can be for people who, uh, it's not even just like neurodivergent people, although dyslexia is, is neurodivergent too, but it also gives us a chance to um, to present ourselves in a way that we want to as well like whether we have a neurodivergence or not that option should be available to everyone I've seen it a lot more um recently send us a covering letter or a you know a three minute video describing how you do the things you know which is great um yay (laughs) and I think that that can it's a it's just a it's a lot more personable as well I think um but it does introduce some other factors into it that might not have existed before around race, class, um, perceived kind of gender identity, you know, these sorts of um, diversity, equity and inclusion things that I talk about all the time. Um, It does introduce a layer of that, but there's also the option to, to turn the computer around and listen instead of looking at the person who's talking. Um, which can eliminate some of the visual things, maybe not the socioeconomic status one, but, you know. I think just having the options available, like, first and foremost, just, just you know, like, you know, m- not not allowing one thing to be favoured over another, you know. Um, and although I think, like, if, you, if you're going to be realistic about it, 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 like, especially, you know, if the people, like, you know, who are employing are a bit younger as well, like, it's more likely that they are going to be more lured by a video CV than they are, um, like, a normal CV. But, you know, like, even think, but, like, doing things like, what something I love, things like uh, CV websites, like, making your own CV website and making it a bit more you, making it a bit more fun to do and, 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 and structuring it in a way that isn't necessarily conventional, but is something that you feel you know, it, it portrays yourself and, and your abilities well. Um, you know, I think like, that. you know, those, those, there should be like those sorts of options. It shouldn't just have to be an application form or a cover letter. 
um not you know like covering letters for me are absolute hell having to write about myself like that is that it is easier for me to talk about myself I'm very familiar with talking about myself but writing about myself that's a whole other thing like you know it, it it's just 10 times harder for some reason I don't know why and and you know knowing what to say the structure to say it like there's a lot of pressure there to get the convention right Again, something that neurodivergent people really struggle with conventions and sort of like, why are we doing things this way? It doesn't make any sense. It's very outdated. Um, and I think like, you know, yeah, cover letters are becoming increasingly outdated. But like you say, um, you know, like, yeah, like it, it does introduce certain issues. Um, but, you know, what, like, what I don't, I don't see why the, there can't be companies out there that explore that further and maybe look into ways of doing it that, that remove some of those things, you know, like that there's a lot of technology out there that can sort of help with that. So there are possibilities for the future. I like to think. Yeah, there definitely are. I think that also, you know, when we're talking about um, options and, and things like this, people, loads of people have LinkedIn with all of their skills and work experience listed, why are they having to fill in an application with all of that information again? If they have a CV and they've submitted a CV into a portal, why are they having to fill in their employment history again? For the love of everything holy, please stop doing that. Um, because we, we, we neurodivergent people, it's literal torture. Like we're asking us to do a whole bunch of mental gymnastics to recall when we worked somewhere you know um and we've already done it right it's on the cv or it's on the linkedin page profile thing like we've done it yeah and then doing it multiple times a day really doesn't help with the motivation you know it's hard enough to have to go about you know if you're needing to job hunt it's hard enough just sitting down and doing it let alone doing it repetitively over and over again in the longest, most inefficient way possible. Like it, it is, it's a hurdle. It's a real hurdle. And I, I, I think like, you know, improving that could really bring about a wider pool of people of, you know, of, of, of multiple, like, you know, many different skills. I feel like they're just cutting it out by sticking to these really, you know, old school you know conventional ways of doing things it just doesn't make sense it doesn't um okay so uh does a person have to disclose to their employer that they're neurodivergent what are what might be the benefits but also what are the risks of doing that okay well honestly like i think that you should be able to say up front that you're neurodivergent um, and it shouldn't obviously impact your job. Realistically, yeah, it could. Um, I mean, I think ultimately, like, they always have a hard time proving stuff like that. Um, but, you know, the other upside, you know, there's the tick box stuff, like so, that sometimes places do need to interview people that do have disabilities and stuff. So sometimes it can work in your favour. Um, but honestly, if I disclosed up front, that I was neurodivergent to a business and didn't get the job, I would be glad that I didn't get the job if it was about, if it was about my neurodivergence. I would not want to work for a company that that information would affect my chance of getting a job. That would be a no-no for me. That would be an automatic no. So yeah, like I think like it's all I think, you know, maybe like you can look at it from a from a stance of, you know, you telling them is is a, a bit of a litmus test for your employer. 
how what, how are they going to deal with that information what are they going to what are they going to come to you to support you with because at the end of the day when you're applying for a job it does go both ways you are you are you know wanting to see if you want that job as much as they're wanting to see if they want you so being able to yeah like like you know tell them and then see what accommodations they make for you is a really good test um to see how well that you would be looked after in that workplace so yeah i am all for being upfront about it um i mean it, yes it could affect if you're if you're if you're really desperate for a job and you just need to get something um as quickly as possible whether you should take that out or not it's i would say it's entirely personal choice like yes it could impact but also like i said about the tick boxes and everything it could it could work in your favor I, I mean, I, I will always go on the side of, of, of just saying it personally. Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's important that there's no um, there's no legal requirement for you to to disclose anything about neurodivergence, disability to anyone at any time. Um, but without doing it, you can't ask for reasonable adjustments. Um, you you kind of limit some of the ways that you might be interviewed. Um, but also if you don't feel comfortable saying it in the interview, you can wait until you have the job and you can also say it after that and then ask for reasonable adjustments as well. So there are ways kind of around this. Um, but it's, it's, it is a definitely a personal kind of decision who to discuss to and, and when to do that. Yeah. Um, And I I think like you say, like, you know, not, not being upfront about and not being able to get those reasonable adjustments, um, especially, you know, yeah, you might not even have to ask them, they may be offered, but even if you have to ask for them, like you're shooting yourself in the foot, essentially, you're making it harder by not disclosing that. I think I feel I feel like, you know, get what you need, get the support that you need. Take like, you know, these companies do have an obligation and they do have certain things they need to go by. So these days, so like ask for it, ask for what you need, make them give it to you. If you if you if you if you stand out as an as an interviewee, that shouldn't be a factor, and it shouldn't. I say it shouldn't. It may well be, but you know, like I say, it, the right company, it won't be a factor. Is what I'm saying. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, okay, so the next question is one that I'll take because it's about um, the requirements for organizations to make adjustments for staff who've not been diagnosed or deemed not disabled. Um, so this is interesting because the Equality Act defines disability in a very specific way. Um, it says that a, a disability is a physical or mental impairment that has a substantial and long-term negative effect. That's it. Um, it's important to remember that there's no requirement to have any formal diagnosis. So self-diagnosis counts um, under the Equality Act. And if you disclose that you have a neurodivergence to your employer, they are not allowed to ask you for proof. Um, So, of course, this works on an honor system, right? Because we want to be truthful to um, our employers. We want our employers to trust us, right? Um, And organizations that we partner with or consult in or any of that, we should be able to trust the the people that work there to be honest about um, any kind of reasonable adjustments or accessibility needs that they have. Um, so 
it's an issue of neurodiversity not being that well understood, which is why we're talking about it today um, in society. So people may actually have an impairment or be disabled in quotes, um, but they might not know or they don't identify with that. And so I think that that's, it's an important kind of attribution, a part of our identity that um, we may be coming to terms with, that we're, we don't really fully understand yet. We might be going on deep dives about it, you know, this sort of stuff. Um, An organization might not have any obligation to provide a reasonable adjustment for someone who doesn't identify as being disabled, but um, they can't gatekeep reasonable adjustments at all. Um, And by not by not gatekeeping uh reasonable adjustments for uh making blanket reasonable adjustments like uh not alluded to earlier about giving every interview candidate um all of the questions that they'll be asked before an interview is actually a way to make an inclusive workplace and to show that you have an inclusive culture um asking people for diagnosis or placing labels on people who might not want them um in order to access support is not an effective approach it is outing people when we don't want to out people. Um, and it's also a kind of waste of your support options, right? Because uh, people should be able to come to terms with or whatever the the phrase, I guess, that we want to use, uh, celebrate themselves, empower the people to really talk and, and big up themselves. Um, but maybe some people just don't like labels, so... I feel, like, I feel like you know we just need to normalize asking for what we need like let's just normalize that like you know oh if you've got problems with memory ask for things up front because you know you've got problems with your memory you know you know, you've got problems with phone calls ask for email or an alternative option or video call if you need to have you know if you need to lip read ask for these things even if you don't have the label you know you, you deserve to have that support for where you struggle regardless in my opinion yeah, I think that that's uh, a really good point. Is there anything that we should consider when implementing performance management, like appraisals, right? Uh, kind of those um, yearly reviews, if you like, when we are trying to support neurodivergent employees or anything that you found beneficial? Yeah, well, I mean, first of all, the upfront thing really helps, not just, you know, giving them, giving people like a lot, a lot of notice that it's coming up um, giving them the questions that you want to ask them in advance, giving them plenty of time to think about, you know, what it is, what, what it is they need in the role or, you know, what it is they're struggling with, you know, asking people to do that in the moment isn't always going to get all the information that you need. So I think like anyway, regardless of that, per- that person's neurodivergent, like asking for that information, you know, with, 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 with good, um, uh, with a good amount of time beforehand um, will be beneficial for everyone. Um, and, and yeah, like I think, uh, yeah, the, you, you do have to tread carefully, especially with neurodivergent folk around performance management. Um, there is something called RSD, which I know you're familiar with, Shannon, but I'll explain it's rejection sensitive dysphoria, which basically when an ADHD person right, uh, receives what perceived criticism um that basically like they will just crumble emotionally it will just hit them hard it will floor them and it's very difficult to regulate in those moments um so it is something that can kind of you know it it it, it can create a sort of 
volatile situation if things are going to be you know if you're going to catch people off guard like that um <clears throat> so that's something to consider is you know how you're communicating perhaps you know what you know constructive feedback you know i you know how you word it making sure that it doesn't just come you know it comes along with praise as well making sure that you know you are still you know doing some praising alongside the the constructive feedback i think is really really important um and just really you know hearing hearing your staff member when they talk about everything like i feel like that's that's not i feel like that's not always done enough to you know really understand you know, if someone's struggling with something, making an effort to understand why they're under, you know, they're, they're struggling. Um, and when you've got, you know, when you know that your employee is neurodivergent, like that, you know, it, it does, it does mean that you have to see things through a different, like a, a different lens and, and sort of thing, you know, like, is this, you know, is, is this about RSD? Is this to do with ADHD? Is this, you know, is this problem coming as a result of their neurodivergence and having that, knowledge and understanding of neurodivergence will help you get better performance out of your employees essentially um and you know like for example if someone engaged in what they're doing why aren't they engaged in what they're doing are they finding it boring is it not using the skills that they want to be using like there are all sorts of questions that you could really delve into instead of you're not doing this thing why aren't you doing this thing um it's it, it, like just asking why but like you know it's like is there something that's bothering you about it like, be, like really probing what it is that's bothering someone about doing something rather than just being like yeah you're not doing it you have to do it I think you know is is, is really beneficial um and also just you know taking that time to be like you know is if, if they're not enjoying their job if they're not driven if they're if they are procrastinating more than they're doing like their work like, is that the right role? Do they need to find a different position in the company? You know, is this working out? Is this is is this benefiting both sides? You know, like really having that conversation, um, but leaving it up to that person to, to to reach their own conclusions rather than leading them to something. You know, really getting them to consider these things rather than you making them choose. You know, I think it is is key. Um, and 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 like I say, like the self-esteem issues are so, so prevalent amongst neurodivergent folk, massively prevalent. And I think sometimes, you know, in the workplace, it's very much, you know, the, 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 the sort of convention and culture, it's sort of like, you know, you just got to suck it up, you know, stiff upper lip, you know, if, so, if like, you, you just got to get on with it, you're doing your job, just get on with it. Um, but, you know, underneath the surface, like, you know, people break down I, over, over stuff, you know, over, the things that affect their self-esteem and work you know <clears throat> so I think there's a real I think I really think that the employer needs to make sure that they are taking care of their employee in that way and, and not um you know like especially and 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 when when the issue tends to be about neurodivergent traits like that's going to hit even more hard because you know you can't help it and you know you know that that's just a part of you and so to hear from your employer that they're not happy with you because of your neurodivergent traits. Like it, it pays for that employer to know what what is a trait of neurodivergence and what isn't. Laziness being one, that's a huge one. You know what looks lazy to an like to an employer might actually just be ADHD, and it may have many different reasons as to why it looks like that. Um, but to an employer, they might just see lazy, and like you know, for that employer to just have a little bit more knowledge 
on neurodivergence might make them see, well, actually, no, if they're distracted. Why are they distracted? You know, how can we assist? How can we support you to be more focused? What do you need? What do you need? Like what, what would help? And, and, you know, actually having a bit of knowledge, so being able to suggest support options as well, because not all neurodivergent folk know what they need. They do need a bit of guidance, but just having some options and say, you know, oh, I didn't know that existed. Like, is is massively helpful um and yeah like and just and just yeah just just really just really listening and and just being understanding of the neurodivergent brain in those moments i think is is massively um beneficial um another thing is like with performance management as well <clears throat> especially when you're working in a team and you might have a situation where you know not everyone's working at the same pace um you know when you when you're looking at sort of forward into into performance like one thing i would not recommend is is com- making people compete like don't make people compete against each other on a team like that isn't that is that is how you destroy someone's confidence that is how you make people break their work boundaries like that's not the way to do things um and again with work boundaries as well like you're going to get burnt out people. So like, you know, you, you like, you need to make sure that you're really recognizing what needs are required um, all round because, you know, yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's, that's pretty much it. <laughs> I think also one of the things to consider is um, making sure that any performance review is far enough away from any reasonable adjustments being made so that you can assess with the neurodivergent person whether the reasonable adjustments are working, um, if they might need refreshing, you know, um, if a conversation needs to be had about something about it, something not working in their reasonable adjustment. Um, and also, you know, again, give the uh, the employee a, a chance to prepare in plenty of time for this meeting right so this is not I think that this is where um, employers let their employees down is that an appraisal isn't just a performance management thing that's part of it but it's also um, your employee evaluating if this is where they want to stay Um, And I think that that's a really, it's a conversation, just like an interview should be a conversation where you as the employer are getting to know know the the candidate. Um, Appraisals are a time that you're having a conversation with an employee about what the employer is doing well, what the line manager is doing well, what the employee is doing well, right? It's a mutual conversation. And you know, I say it all the time on this podcast, but everything starts with conversation. So the more we talk about it, the more we grow, the more we learn, and the more we can see of each other. Um, so this is going to be the last one. <laughs> um, but what changes can we make to a workplace to make it accessible to everyone that doesn't require a huge investment? So we know that Everyone cares about money, right? Everyone cares about the bottom line, especially as we head into this recession, because look at the state of the world, gestures wildly. Um, So everyone's kind of watching that bottom line. And so they might want to change something or uh, implement something like 
workplace-wide, what are some of those things that they can do that don't require huge investments besides time, maybe? <laughs> um, well, I mean, firstly, like I said, I've mentioned earlier in meetings, it's very difficult to stay present and really digest that information and retain it afterwards. Um, so I think, you know, there's a few things that you can do to make meetings better for your neurodivergent employees. Um, firstly, having a meeting agenda in advance um, similarly to with the interviews and everything and the performance reviews, having that having that information in advance that's, you know, the neurodivergent person know what to expect, lets their brain start warming up and firing up ready for that meeting. And, you know, you don't get any unexpected turns, which I think, you know, a lot of autistic folk really struggle with. Um, <clears throat> I also, I mean, taking notes as well, like I, I, I'm not that person to take notes. I, I really, really struggle with that. And, you know, if, so, if no one else can take notes in that meeting, then um, there are actually some options available. I actually uh, downloaded one a week ago. Um, it's called Otter AI. And basically it, it automatically works alongside Google Meet, which is just amazing. And it, and it joins meetings alongside me and records and records it basically. And it trans it transcribes it. And it does it into like a conversational and, it, and you can highlight bits of the transcript and it, it sort of tries to outline things, but you know, it's just so handy because you can go back and be like, Oh, what did we talk about again? And just quickly scroll up and be like, Oh yeah, no, that's that thing. And you've got those points there if you need them. Um, so that was, that's something that I think could really, really help with meetings. Um, just, just really having, just having that, that information, because like, as I say, like in the moment, if, if like, if you don't, if it goes, it goes, it, you know, it like you either take it in or you don't. And it's a lot of pressure to put on a neurodivergent person. So that's that's one of the key meetings. That's that's a massive one. Um, also, task management. There needs to be good task management around neurodivergent folks. They need to know what they need to do, how they need to do it. If if not how they need to do it, then they, they need all the information they need to do it. Um, and they need to know when they need to do it by. Um, if that isn't in place, things are going to get lost. Things are going to go missing. Things are going to be forgotten. Things aren't going to get in on time. Having that like real clear sort of due dates um, and, you know, being able to go and look at a task list of what you need to do and work through it really helps. And I think, you know, when it's left to the neurodivergent person to do that all by themselves, it can be a real challenge keeping on top of it. If it's done, you know, as part of a team, then it's a lot easier to interact with it because it's, you know, it's, it's not just you, it's not just up to you to up to update everything, keep everything going. Um, so having really good task management is, is, is super handy and also time blocking. Um, so having like a good time blocking app, like structured works alongside um, reminders on like, you know, uh, an Apple, it's, it's, I think it's iPhone only, um, but it, it basically works alongside your reminders and stuff and you can, move your reminders into time blocks uh, and sort of plan out your day and be like, right, I'm going to spend half an hour doing this and I'm going to spend an hour doing this. I'm going to put a break in here. And you just make sure that, you know, you give yourself enough time to do all the things throughout the day and you know, you're going to get the things done. It really, that, that, I find that really, really helps. Um, hop in here because yeah. um, you talked about deadlines and when things, making sure that neurodivergent people know when things need to be done by. So, um, I'm going to give you a little tidbit of things that don't work, right? So sending an email saying, I need this done ASAP. 
right? That doesn't work. So it either, either you get someone who deprioritizes everything else and does this one thing for two hours and make sure that you have this as, as soon as possible, literally, or they go, I don't know what this means. And they put it at the bottom of the list. Yeah. Right. So be as specific as possible with due dates and times. And, you know, for me, it's really helpful to know if you're giving me a brief for something or whatever, um, make sure that you include a why, what this is for, right? So am I um, creating a bullet pointed list of stats for you because you're going into a meeting at 11? So I'm going to, I'm going to tailor that, um, kind of document to something that you can take into a meeting and be able to read as if you just knew these things off the top of your head or is it that you um need this these stats for a report so i'm going to put them in sentence structure um so that you can easily slot them in where you need right um because it changes what i do for you what that task looks like and how it operates so be specific be as specific as you can carry on and also and that also means that you don't have to like and, and I don't know about you but I often feel like I'm asking too many questions all the time I, I feel like I'm having to bug people like oh what about this what about like oh are you sure like this wasn't this is a bit vague like you know what like confirming all the time um, and you just end up feeling like a bit like you're bugging people all the time so yeah like being as specific as possible and as clear as possible about what you want something what you want someone to do and when it needs to be done by absolute absolutely like that is it's it's such a it makes such a massive difference you know if somebody tells me in the meeting hey nat can you do this i'll be like yeah sure um and you know i may write it down in a, in a notebook i may not i might put it in my phone i may not um but i chances are i'm gonna forget that i put it down somewhere unless some unless it's down unless it's down for so, somewhere that i can check for these things you know um, it really requires me to, in the moment, do an action that, you know, will take me out of the moment. So, you know, having that really, really does help. Um, I find that putting closed captions on video calls really helps. And that is an option with Google Meet. It's not an option with all video um, providers, but um, Google Meet does um, automatically transcribe. Um, so that really helps if you've got auditory processing delay. And it's something, obviously, you can do your end, doesn't affect everyone, but if you are in a room on a video conference with multiple people, that should be a standard in case there's someone there who needs it, because like, you don't know who might find that of use. Like if it, and, and, and like it being there is not going to negatively impact anyone. So I would say that's, that's a good one. Um, and also um, being able to like allow like the employees to be able to step away from sensory input or, do something with sensory input. So that might be, you know, um, being able to go to a quiet room and regulate, decompress if things have got a bit much. Um, it might look like having fiddle toys on the desk um, and, you know, there, there being no judgment around someone using them in meetings. Um, it might look like, you know, even just an employee bringing their earphones to work, noise cancelling headphones or something and being you know and, and coming across as you know unsociable um but actually what they need is to be able to focus is that sensory input or you know that that control over like what's going in in them in their mind so you know th those those are some of the key things for me um that i think would be quite easy for workplaces to adopt 
I also think, you know, with the um, pandemic, the panini, um, that we got used to and we were able to be a little more at home um, in our own homes. And if we can continue to either allow for some uh, flexibility in where we're working. um, Yeah, so that we can, you know, maybe um, Wednesdays are a particularly busy day in your office. And so um, a neurodivergent person might say, is it cool if I work from home um, in the morning because it's really loud and I have a lot of preparation to do for some client meetings or whatever, right? Um, But having that option to kind of work at a place that makes sense for you. So that might not be forced back into an office. It might not be working fully from home, but it could be a hybrid of those options. But having options for everyone makes life a little better for everyone, not just neurodivergent people. Absolutely. And yeah, like you say, like flexibility of when as well, like, you know, being able to start a little bit later or even a little bit earlier for some people. Some people are morning people. Some people want to get started at eight, half seven in the morning even and be done by three, you know, or four. And, you know, like just having that, you know, being able to utilize that, you know, high performance time of the neurodivergent brain to their sort of, you know, to that like whenever they need it is going to be beneficial all round like it's going to produce more it's going to it's going to be good good for the employee and good for the employer because they're going to get more out of their employee absolutely um and i think that we can't overstate um how important it is to treat um every single person that's working for you that comes in to work with you freelance that is a consultant that we are all individual people um, and so it's really important that we recognize that not one size fits all when it comes to neurodiversity. And this is probably the fundamental lesson fundamental lesson today from this conversation is that it's important to have conversations with individuals, be flexible, uh, be creative in how you're doing things, um, avoid making assumptions, don't be afraid to fail. Uh, create opportunities to find out what makes people tick. Have those conversations focus on strengths. What What is this person really good at that I can make them, uh, that I can make use of them in some really great deck or pitch or, you know, maybe the the neurodiverse person that you have is super creative and they, you give them a very plain deck and they make it beautiful for you. You know, these are, or you have a neurodiverse neurodiverse person who uh, loves data and makes all of the stats look amazing and can really make them pop on the screen for you. All of these things are things that we can find out by having conversations with people, but taking time to get to know individuals who work for you, people who work for you, on the team um, will strengthen the team and also maximize the kind of productivity that you get out of them. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. <laughs> That's where we leave it today. So thank you so much for being here, Nat. I've learned so much. I love talking about this with you because I think that there's so much to unpack in this. So much. Yeah. So much. We used to do one on trauma at some point, God. (laughs) 
All right. Well, thank you again for being here. Thank you for having me. It's been great. It's been a really great chat. And I've just loved getting all of that off my my plate because, like, it's just sitting in there burning all the time. So thank you for, like, just giving me the platform to just get it all out. Like, and we're we're supposed to be heard. So literally ran, we literally ran through everything. Thank you so much for joining us on this expedition into um, neurodiversity with my friend, Matt Hellman. Um, It's so good, and I hope that you got so much value from this episode. I know that it's a little longer than the ones that we usually do here on Running Through Reverse, but it was really hard to split it up because there were so many good nuggets and the the conversation really just flowed. Um, And so I hope that you're taking away some nuggets about recruitment and interviewing and appraising and how to kind of input uh, blanket reasonable adjustments without large investment. Um, And if you do have any questions or you need any support with implementing or ideas or anything like that, um, check the show notes for an email address that you can send inquiries to, um, to speak to the team at SRCCIC for any help that you might need around this. We're happy to facilitate conversations and facilitate workshops on learning about neurodiversity as well, um, so that you can understand it a little bit more and deep dive with your staff as well. Um, but if you love the show, please do um, come back and listen some more. Thanks so much for joining us again for another episode of Running Through Rivers with me, your host, Shannon Rivers. I hope to see you again soon.